from the New Whispers from Eternity. Infinite Spirit, thy presence is hidden equally behind the warm rays of the sun and the cool light of the moon. Those lights, though welcome and wonderful, reveal only Mother Nature's splendor in matter. They reveal not thee. To me they are therefore darkness. Thy all-revealing, majestic, and supreme light shines not on, but from within the center of everything, therefore creating no shadows. Shadows in this world reduce light itself to non-light. In theory I have known this. Now, Lord, take all darkness away from me. Wherever I sit with closed eyes, enclosed in my own darkness, caused to blaze upon me in glory the aurora of intuition that, suffused in its light, I may gaze raptly on thee with worshipping eyes. And the scripture reading, Truth invites, it never commands. Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. Free will is a basic principle of life. God never coerces. He invites us to live in such a way that we find fulfillment in ourselves. If we refuse to live rightly, Paramahansa Yogananda taught, God simply says, I will wait. We have eternity to live. In that eternity we live as we choose, in self-created darkness, a darkness as intense and as long-lasting as we choose, or in the infinite light, the true self, which is God. Jesus Christ in the Beatitudes offered a beautiful example of God's way of inviting mankind to seek perfection, not by commanding, but by offering his human children the incentive they need to choose the right of their own volition. Blessed are the poor in spirit, Jesus said, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. In each of the Beatitudes, Jesus explains the blessing attendant upon observing it. The divine way, similarly, for each of us, is not to do violence to our own natures. Spirituality must be attained naturally. It can never be attained by force. The Bhagavad Gita says in the third chapter, even the wise behave in accordance with nature as it is manifested in them. Of what avail, then, is suppression? The scripture then goes on, however, to explain that this does not mean we should surrender to the dictates of our lower nature. Rather, it emphasizes our need to aspire to the heights. But each of us, <clears throat> in accordance with his own nature, and not in imitation of anyone else's, 
offering ourselves up for purification by divine grace. Desire, whatever form it takes, so the Bhagavad Gita explains, should be resisted if only mentally. Attachment and repulsion to sense objects, both of these are universally rooted. No one should accept their influence, for verily they are men's enemies. Thus through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. Om, Om, Om. It all sounds very easy, and I want to talk about the opposite side, how it is not also altogether easy. Because whereas truth invites, so also does Satan, so also does error. And we feel a distinct attraction to negativity and to the wrong side of life and the dirty things in life and the evils in life. They have their appeal. And they are justified by saying, well, you want to be honest, don't you? You want to be truthful, don't you? You want to see life as it is, don't you? The point is that the further you go one way from your center in yourself, the further you will have to go the other way. And the further you go toward beauty or, uh, or uh, uh, the uplifting, in a sense, the further you will go toward the downcasting and the ugly. And th I remember I told that story yesterday in my, um, in my talk in the morning that uh, Master at that Masonic institution, uh, institution of office, installation of officers, how I had to play the part of Jesus in the thing. Well, Master then said to me, how was it? I said, sir, it was a disaster. Because what had happened was that the, after my beautiful little scene with Jesus Christ in Gethsemane, then they had this installation of officers, and there was a whole protest. Some people thought one group should have been appointed, another solid, another group should be appointed. Half the people walked out. There was great fury and anger. And uh, I said, sir, it was <clears throat> not altogether what one would have wanted. He said, it was a disaster, wasn't it? I said, yes, sir. He says, well, don't talk about it. That was impressive to me that he said, don't talk about it. After all, their negativity couldn't touch us. Why not talk about it? It was rather funny. But he didn't want us to talk about negative things. Now, a newspaper would rep a reporter would have a very different take on that. There was one woman, she was from India, and she was studying journalism here in, uh, in America. And uh, she decided to write her thesis on Ananda. And she took it back to them, and they said, there's nothing wrong with it. <laughs> and she said, well, I couldn't find anything wrong with it. But you're, that's not being honest. You've got to find the dirt. So she went back and she finally came up with a talk on how we had to get through, go through mud to get to the temple. And, uh, she didn't get her thesis because they couldn't accept that anything could be that good. Well, we know it's that good. <clears throat> but the thing is that the journalists will always try to figure out what's wrong. If a thing is good, so what's wrong with it? And in fact, I, I remember doing that myself. There was this one, after I got out of high school, I went to sort of a peace camp for a couple of weeks. And uh, 
I think it was somewhat communist dominated. I don't dominated. I don't know, but I do remember this one woman getting up and talking about um, cooperatives and uh, the socialistic way, and she gave it in such a completely positive way that at the end of it, I, I when she asked for questions, I said, "Well, I found that everything in this world has something wrong with it, and you've given us too positive a view." And in fact, it does take that kind of a willingness to see both sides before you feel that you've got the truth of it. Now here we're talking about truth being that which attracts you to higher vision, and yet we're admitting that negativity it does attract. There is a certain attraction in negativity, and not only that, but it's a part of truth. That wherever there is a light, there's got to be darkness. When a painter tries to create something light, he can't make it shine from the canvas. The only way he can imply the light is to create shadows also. And the deeper the shadows, the brighter the light seems, although it's only a seeming. And so I'd like to give you also something very practical in answer to that. Because the farther you go into negativity, the more you increase duality. When the waves are high, they will also be the same amount depressed. You can't change the level of an ocean by raising even one wave. For every wave, there has to be a compensating trough. This is just the law of duality, and you can't get away from it. It won't change the overall level of the ocean, nor will the level of God's consciousness and presence in everything be changed, no matter how gross the delusion. But if you go into extremes, then you will have to suffer the opposite extremes. And if you are drawn to negativity, as Master was saying in that case with the installation of the officers, don't talk about it. This is, these things exist, but why dwell on it? And somebody else will say, well, what do you mean? You've got to know the truth of these things. Well, you don't have to know that truth. It's enough to know that things can go wrong, and they very often do. The important thing is, what does it do for you? And that is always the question you must ask. How is it affecting me? You go into a city, and I, I lived in Charleston, South Carolina for a year, and it was a very interesting experience. I wanted to be a writer, and therefore I wanted to see all levels of society. And I got a good chance to see them all in that small town. What interested me was that within two or three days of coming to the city, everybody seemed to find his own social milieu. They seemed to be attracted to it. There was corruption, there was crime, there was a social uh, beauty, and all sorts of things there. And I, as a what an uh, aspiring writer made it a point to try to find as many different kinds of people as I could, and I think it's what drew me to the spiritual path. I'd say a certain amount of negativity is necessary in order to make us realize we just don't want all that. I think the thing that really drew me more than anything else to the spiritual path was the acting scene, where everybody was so phony, and uh, I just, anyway, I'd had enough of it. But it was very interesting to see how quickly people attracted their own level. 
Because this is what happens. If you, in, <clears throat> if you engage in negative thinking, you will attract negative experiences. Now, does that mean you have to blind yourself to them? That's like somebody walk, walking through a, a cemetery at night and falling into an open, open grave that hasn't yet been filled, which happened to a friend of mine once. <clears throat> Scared the life out of him. <laughs> You know, you need to know what pitfalls there are. You need to go know how to go around them. These things are a part of, of uh, common sense. But you don't have to be fascinated by them. And this is where the attraction comes in. There is a certain fascination in evil. That's why people get into it. It isn't as if evil were, evil were necessarily repulsive in itself. The worst of it is that it is attractive. Drinking can be attractive. All the delusions can be attractive, and that's what holds people to them. And so the answer to them, and this is what I want to bring out today, as a very important lesson in life. Don't say, no, 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 no. Don't say, yes, 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 yes. <laughs> say, I'm just not touched by it. Withdraw from it. Withdraw from good and evil both. When the, when the wave is just a little bit, then you're very close to the ocean surface. And yes, there's still a wave, but you're able to withdraw into the depths more easily when you are conscious of that little movement than when you are conscious of the big waves, each of which makes it seem as if that was the only reality you had to deal with at the moment. And so it is that whenever anything happens to you, be even-minded and cheerful. When you see beautiful scenery, say, yes, it's beautiful, but don't say, yes, it's beautiful, like somebody in a TV advertisement. Oh, look, and they get so excited, they jump up and down. Look at those quiz shows where they offer you big prizes if you wait the right, get the right answer, and now people are leaping up and down. All they're doing is really going with the energy in their spine, which shoots upward, and then they have to be drawn by the gravity of earth and so they jump up again you can't get above this earth you can't get away from yourself you can't get happy by jumping up and down <laughs> you'll become happy if you can learn that all happiness begins with you and where you are and who and what you are when you see beauty in nature yes say it's beautiful but don't feel you have to depend on that remember that your ability to respond to it is here in your own heart. A turtle could see that same beauty and it wouldn't be, he wouldn't be moved by it. He might see a sunset and wonder if it was good to eat. Or a glutton might look at a sunset and it would remind him of scrambled eggs. But if you remember that it always begins with what you've got in your own mind, if you can be happy in yourself, you can be happy under all circumstances. And it's really quite surprisingly true to the extent to which this can happen. When I had to go into operation in, in last December, and uh, they had to rip out my insides, they took out a, a, a foot and a half of my intestines, and they took out my gallbladder, and I just felt blissful going in there. I just thought, well, what does this body matter anyway? And if I come out of it, fine. If I don't, fine. It doesn't matter to me. When I came out of the anesthesia, I felt something had been lifted from me. 
I felt good, but I would have felt any good anyway. When you can feel that way, it's like a story of, uh, that Vivekananda told of a um, sannyasi who went out and he came back and he was bleeding all over. And everybody said, what happened? He said, oh, my dear friends, it was such a wonderful day. The boys were throwing stones and it was just, we had great fun. It didn't bother him that they were throwing them at him. Of course, it wasn't a very beautiful joy that they were feeling in stoning him. But the amazing thing was that he was able to be so detached from his ego that he just saw it as an event. And this is what we should try to be whenever anything happens to you. Don't say it's happening to me. Just say it's happening. When somebody praises you, don't take it personally. I have said that the answer to that is to realize that people are usually wrong anyway. But that's really only part of the answer. That's only part of the answer. The other part is that whom are they praising anyway? Whom can they praise? It's only God in this form. And so when they praise you, if they blame you, let it be. Nothing should touch you. And this is a very good practice to... Um, <clears throat> Enjoy in one way or another. I remember one time the children in school when they were in, uh, when they had families in Sinitas, the children master had said that he talked about a yogic practice of mixing all your foods together, sweet, sour, bitter, everything together. And so they thought this was a good idea, but they would carefully layer <laughs> there. So the sweets would be on the bottom and the... <laughs> well, that wasn't quite getting the spirit of it. The thing is that you should be able, as Master one time when he was a boy, he saw a, some putrid rice on the roadside and a cow uh, stuck its nose at it and backed off. And Master said, that's only God. I, I could eat that. And a friend who was with him said, if you eat it, I will. So Master took it and said, this is God. And he ate it and it was pleasant. Then the boy ran away and Master rushed after him and grabbed him. He said, you promised you've got to do it. So he pushed it into his mouth and he vomited everything. <laughs> but I don't say you have to go to those extremes. <laughs> but when you reach a certain point, you may find it a help to test yourself with those extremes. So that when you have to go through suffering and so on, I've tested myself that way in the dentist chair. And uh, well, I've told you the story so many times, it's probably coming out of your ears by now. But for the sake of the one or two people who haven't heard it, <laughs> I'll tell it again. But, uh, I, had, I broke a tooth in, in, in Italy, a front tooth. And uh, I went down to the dentist and, uh, in Gualdotadino, and he said that, well, you'll have to come here several times because I have to first go in there and kill the nerve, and then I have to uh, cut a post in there, and I have to mold the tooth to the post, and you'll have to come back four times to make it really good. And I thought, I said, look, just do it now. He said, well, then I have to do it without anesthesia. She said, I don't care. It doesn't matter. And I think these are a good thing to do, and I do recommend it to the limit of your own courage, <laughs> that you test yourself with these things because it's important. What I did was I simply decided that it didn't matter. I was not just this body. I was much more than my body. I had lived many years, and I was a part of my reality. It was my past, and 
my possible future and so on, so I'm not right here. And so I let him go ahead and drill, and I think he, he worked on me a little excessively, <laughs> wanting to persuade me that I needed to come back several times. But I just ignored it, and I, I meditated and had a good time. When he went in there and cut the nerve, and he showed it to Ketani and um, Narea, who were there in the room with me, and they dangled this little nerve there, I didn't pay any attention. And by the end of it, he was sort of in awe. But the fact is that you, you can do these things, and it didn't bother me at all. I've had people working on root canals and mentally composing music while they do it. It's a good lesson in one way or another. Whatever happens, don't say, oh, just say, oh, let it be, let it be. And bit by bit, reach the point where pleasant and unpleasant things in your life neither seem pleasant nor unpleasant. They're just experiences. You know, most pleasurable experiences have a certain pain in them, too. It's like a mosquito bite. It scratches, it hurts, but when you scratch it, it also feels good, doesn't it? So this is the odd thing about human life, that uh, even the pains of life are pleasurable in a sense. I've often told again another story, which you're going to have to suffer through. <laughs> when I was in New York many years ago, I bought a little dictation machine. And the man recorded into it to make sure it worked. It was fine, so I took it. And uh, that night I went to Carnegie Hall, I think it was, or anyway, one of the big halls in, in uh, New York, where Raphael Kubelitz was conducting a symphony. And uh, I thought during a Smetanov uh, Moldau, I thought, I wonder if this thing will pick up a sound at a distance and not just recording it a close-up like this. So I didn't know quite whether it would work, but I turned the volume as high as possible to make sure. And then in the middle of a movement, just when the conductor was just about to start the new movement, I pushed the button. It was the wrong button. <clears throat> Loudly in the whole, it filled the whole auditorium. Hello, testing, one. <laughs> so help me, reached four before I found that button to turn it off. And the conductor whirled around, and everybody was sort of, it was, it was a shocking experience. And at the same time, uh, although it was a supremely embarrassing experience, my thought in the background of my mind was, boy, this will be a good story to tell. <laughs> and so it is that you will find that in all suffering, what, sto what novels do people like to read about warfare? After a war, when everybody would, you'd think they'd be fed up with it, that's when the novels come out about all the uh, harrowing experiences. One time, Master told about a, a woman who had come to him, and she was telling about an operation she'd had, and it sounded so harrowing. He just listened and listened and listened, and finally said, well, tell me, when did you have this? Oh, 20 years ago. <laughs> well, <clears throat> there is, unfortunately, pleasure in pain and pain in pleasure. Both are equally balanced. And therefore, the answer to get away from is pull back from them. Don't be affected by either pain or pleasure. When you eat, enjoy what you eat, but don't go slobbering over it. <laughs> when you have somebody who insults you, thank him. It can be very good for your ego. I remember this one occasion which... Um, 
I was at where I was uh, the host of a gathering of people who were famous people, and they were ignoring me and talking to everybody else. I thought, this is wonderful that they should ignore me. I'm the one paying for the bill, too. And I was the only one who knew what he was talking about in that group. But that they should ignore, because I was, it was about starting communities. I was the only one who had started one and successfully. But I just thought, this is wonderful. Let them insult you. It's a very good reminder that you're not this ego. They're not blaming you. They're blaming the stupid thing that you've taken on to yourself for a while. But you're not that ego. You're not you in the sense of your little self. You're you in the sense of the infinite self. When people are kind, thank them, but in God's name. When painful experiences come, just the more close you are to the center of yourself, the more you will find that the, rever the pleasures and pains become minimal. And the joy, this is the beauty of it, because many people think that if you're going to um, be even-minded all the time, whether in pain or in pleasure, that then you will become apathetic. That is the beautiful thing. You don't become apathetic because your ability to enjoy anything comes from you and your own reaction to it. And the more you have of, your, of yourself, your consciousness in yourself, centered in yourself, the more you find that you find joy in everything. And even in unpleasant experiences, there is a certain joy that you can feel, but it doesn't touch you. So really speaking, people think, oh, if I give up my ego, I've given up everything. Yeah, but in giving up everything, you find everything. In giving up my, my pleasures, I give up the ability to enjoy. No, you don't. You find more and more bliss inside. So that I remember one absolutely beautiful Christmas um, banquet at Mount Washington, and there was some woman who was... Uh, uh, for some reason, she got into every, getting everybody marching around the tables and <laughs> chanting something. And I saw Master and Rogers. It was an intensely embarrassing situation for me. But I noticed look, Master and Rogers looking at each other and <laughs> just <laughs> chuckling it over, over it all. It doesn't matter. Nothing in life really matters. If you find this is, this is how what's happened to me, because there have been times when the endurance, the, continual, the longevity of Ananda was threatened. It looked as if we would lose everything. I never let it touch me inside. And if we fail, okay, God has something else in store. But if you don't let anything else be your bottom line, except your determination to cling to who and what you are and to your inner joy, you will find that Everything, in a sense, can give you joy. Darkness can give you joy in the sense that it reminds you of light. Just as a painter has to put darkness there to make the light more beautiful. And so you just remain even-minded at all times. People try to hurt you. People come, they may murder you. Thank them in your heart. Now, that may seem strange. But you should take it this way. That God has made the law of karma. And if it's your karma to die in one way or another, you'll have to go sooner or later. Why fight against it? Oftentimes, the more you fight against the inevitable, the worse it becomes in the end. 
Just let it be as it will. And you will find that in the process, as I said the other day or perhaps yesterday, that if it's your karma to lose a leg, you may only get a scratch on the leg. The karma will be there, but with that attitude you will create an aura of light around your body that nothing will be able really to hurt you. That's why we wear bangles and gems and so on, because they help to increase the aura of light for somebody like myself who has to be in the public. As Master said, it's a protection against negative thoughts from people. But many things, uh, artificial things even, can help to strengthen this light. But the most important thing is that you love God. That is your best astrological amulet. That is your most secure, protective curtain. And if you love him, then why be afraid? And if you're afraid, you're for that moment losing that love. So whatever comes to you in life, just say, God, it's yours. It doesn't matter. And enjoy his presence within. And if I remember Ananta, this is a beautiful story. When we got that uh, ashram in Sacramento, most of our ashrams we've gotten cheap because they were in poor areas. And we've raised the area. The police are very grateful to us. Now the vibration around them is very good. But at that time in this community, there were a lot of drug people and other kinds of people, and it was very cheap because the, they couldn't sell it for more. And one of these people came to Ananda with a gun, and he said, I'm going to shoot you for the what you've done to us. Ananda said, fine, go ahead. Well, he didn't. But if he had, Ananda would have been the same. That's the attitude, and it's a very good attitude to have even when things come to you suddenly like that. My life is in God's hands. You don't get to these attitudes by waiting for the supreme moment and then suddenly having it. You develop them by practicing and practicing over a period of time until finally you're secure in that thought and you can instantly come up with the right attitude no matter what you are faced with. So remember, be even-minded and cheerful and settled in yourself. Be centered. Don't get excited this way or that way. Don't become uh, over-elated or over-depressed. Just be close to your own center so that nothing can move you very much until finally nothing moves you at all. Master said that we must become so centered in ourselves that we can stand unshaken amidst the crash of breaking worlds. I really think that it's a very good practice to imagine the worst. This is why I've never been nervous as a speaker. This is considered one of the things that most people are afraid of, is public speaking. I never have been, because I've just assumed the possibility of the worst. If people think I'm a complete dope, what does it matter? If I am a dope, then I should try to change. If I'm not, how do their opinions matter? And so it doesn't touch me what they think. But if I've done the wrong thing, then I want to correct it, and so I'll try to do better next time. So don't get nervous about anything. Don't worry about what other people think of you. Don't worry about whether life will treat you well or badly. There was a something in the Reader's Digest many years ago when I was still reading it sometimes 
And uh, it was a meeting of great tycoons in business. And they were among the wealthiest people in this country. And the interesting thing about it, which was pointed out in that article, was that every one of them fell and became poor. Life is always going to be up and down. There will always be periods in your life that will be favorable and unfavorable. And there will be times when somehow, when karma is against you, it looks like everybody's against you. I was absolutely amazed when I went through that period with SRF where they completely misunderstood everything that I was doing and condemned me, that I had written in the, in the Indian edition, um, um, Bernard Tesnier did the, I was editing the magazine over there, and Bernard Tesnier uh, had been doing the Hatha Yoga articles, and he called the, the, uh, uh, the thunderbolt pose, the uh, adamantine pose, I think, and I forget. Anyway, I changed it to something else, which suggested hardness and strength more than uh, just hardness. Whatever it was, I, I'd have to really sit and think what it was all about. But the point is that he, too, scolded me, totally unnecessarily. And I thought, this is my karmic period. There was nothing I could say or do that did not bring brickbats from someone who didn't even know that I was being, uh, being under attack from other people. You will go through periods like this. We all do. Don't be excited about it. You just have to accept that karma is an up and down thing. And you go through astrological periods in your life when everything is favorable and periods when everything is apparently unfavorable. But the truth is that those people who become strong and real victors in life are those who meet those hard tests and overcome them. There is no astrological or karmic or any other test that can destroy you if you remain firmly centered in your inner self. The more you have that sense that God is with me, when people were, when this lawyer was trying to completely destroy me, and he said to Davy, you can tell Mr. Walters, I'm going to destroy him. And he did his level best, bless his heart. <laughs> I just kept feeling in my heart, he can take away everything, but he can't take away the only thing I treasure, and that is God's love for me and my love for God. So nothing touched me. Be that way. Nothing can ever take away your love for God or the fact that he loves you. Nothing can shake your inner peace of mind because you should not allow your peace of mind to depend on anything outside yourself. And whether you meet failure in enterprise or success, when I started Ananda, I can't tell you how many people, relatives and everybody else, were predicting dismal failure. I said, I'm not trying to succeed. I'm trying to do a good job for God, and it's up to him whether I succeed or not. And this is the principle of the, of the Bhagavad Gita, too. Nishkam karma. Action without desire for the fruits of action. <clears throat> do the right thing according to your own highest lights. And then when you do it, you've cast it onto the waters where the waters heave, and you never know what's going to happen. But you do the right thing, 
and you will see that in the end, God will protect you. <clears throat> Truth will protect you. Truth invites. It doesn't demand. But when you live by that truth, you will find somehow yata dharma jaya. Where there is dharma, there will be victory. And you can't fail in one way or another if the victory should be that in the face of death itself you feel joy. Isn't that a great victory? All victory depends upon being in tune with the source of all truth. So that is the message of the scriptures for us, and a very important message it is. God bless you. Nightingale, nightingale, sing of joy through the my heart to impart everywhere your delight. Sing of moon rays on the rain. Sing that love's not in vain. Every grief, every wrong has its ending in song. What is song without night? Where is dawn? Were it not for men's woes, who would smile at a rose? Nightingale. Silence grown, earth and heaven unite. Morning laughter, evening tears, snow and blossoms all fade. Joy must sing in the night to face change. What is love? Is
What is love? 